Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Dr. Kathleen Smith on the line. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you. You can just call me Kathleen. I'm happy with that. <laughs> Perfect. I wanted to at least give you your title. I appreciate and then, that. And then, and then from there, we'll go from there. So yeah. uh, that's awesome. So great to have you on the show. You wrote a book a little while ago. And during this, the time of this recording, is we're in the middle of a pandemic. And the title of your book and what it's about is amazing. And it's the message that I think a lot of people need to hear. So share us a little bit about your journey, the book, and, and some of the things you've discovered after releasing it. Yeah. So the name of the book is Everything Isn't Terrible, Conquer Your Insecurities, Interrupt Your Anxiety, and Finally Calm Down. And it came out at the beginning of this year, and little did I know that <laughs> I already assumed it was going to be an anxious year, but I had no idea how anxious it would be for so many people. And, you know, I'm a therapist. I, um, I have a, a practice in D.C., and I am trained in a theory called Bowen Theory, which is a, sort of a family systems way of thinking or a relationship way of thinking about anxiety. And I wanted to write a book that I could give to my therapy clients, you know, because I live in DC, I have overachieving clients, they always want homework and things to read. (laughs) And, you know, I I wanted a book that kind of summarized the theory I was trained in, in a way that's accessible and narrative and is not too, too academic, but has some real meat to it at the same time. And so, you know, the book is just stories of various clients that I've worked with. Obviously, you know, details are changed to protect their identity, uh, but just what it looks like to, to grow up slowly and calm down slowly over time, because that's the only way it happens. Anxiety is a thing that challenges so many people. Uh, and even in quote unquote normal times, anxiety can be really problematic for every walk of life. Doesn't matter how successful you are, you know, race, religion, you know, gender, everything. You toss in the massive uncertainty that we've all been facing with this pandemic, and it, it, it's like giving it steroids for some people. And it's I've noticed in talking with people that I normally engage with that seem to you know be on top of their game and life is going pretty well for them. Yes, we all have our challenges, but they tend to navigate through life fairly easy are really struggling with many aspects of this pandemic. And it could be a variety of different things, whether it's when can we go to a concert again, or why are they closing down the restaurants again, or when can I do this? What about my kids going to school? What's that going to look like? How am I going to be able to have a Zoom meeting 11 o'clock when my spouse also has a Zoom meeting at 11 o'clock and we only have one computer? And all of these things that have been introduced in this world uh, since this pandemic has started has really created a lot of challenges for people. And I'm sure you've seen that with, you know, the practice and, and, you know, the stories that you've been you know hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's hard for people to find space to think about the challenges too, right? You know, <laughs> that's one of the challenges of doing therapy right now is can you find privacy in your own ho- home to do the thinking if your kids are running around, if your spouse can overhear you, <laughs> if your roommate is, you know, is around. Uh, people just don't have that 
distance that they need to do good thinking. So they have to get creative and they have to, to kind of think about how they want to deal with these challenges. But it is interesting to see how some people are managing to kind of reframe things and, and some people have a harder time, but you know, I think speaking of burnout, you know, I think a lot of the avenues that are the solutions that we normally apply to dealing with burnout just aren't available to us right now. You know, you can't, necessarily call your parents to come help with your kids if they're at risk or, you know, if they're not around, right? You can't maybe make a big job change (laughs) um, or or switch things up that you would be able to do in normal time. So people have to get more creative and they have to really think about what it looks like on a daily level to be more responsible for yourself and your anxiety. And I'm happy to, to think about that with people. Yeah, I've seen a dramatic increase in in burnout and had a conversation with individual earlier this morning for a pre-interview for a show that I'm going to be on uh, in a couple of weeks. And we talked about burnout and how the traditional remedies, and you alluded to that, of, of how you deal with burnout aren't necessarily available. And also a lot of the ingredients that can lead into burnout, which is, of course, prolonged stress, Mm -hmm. is coming at us not just from our work environment, but everything else. Because for many of us, our work environment and our home environment, congratulations, is the same place. And then toss in the fact that many of us became full-time school teachers over the last few months, and we're trying to figure out this third grade math and we haven't done third grade math since third grade and it looked a lot different then than it does now or at least that's what we think Mm -hmm. so we're like what in the world is this and so all of these stressors uh, that are coming into pretty much every aspect of people's lives working on resiliency and and finding that space that you talked about is so important because as you said, we may not have a private place to go to, but going outside, even walking, if you have a yard or if you're an apartment or condo building, you know, walking around the building, just yourself, just to take in a few minutes and and breathe in some outside air uh, can help uh, with it. And it's, I always recommend people that are doing this is like, okay, get outside and get out of your head uh, and just kind of pay attention to what you're seeing. And, and listen to nature and sounds and cars going by or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just you know, be in the moment a little bit more and, and try to get yourself a little bit more grounded before you jump back into you know the the world that you're currently in. And it's it's helping people if they can basically you know when we were taught in school you know if you, you know stop drop and roll kind of thing. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing where it's just stop everything you're thinking right now and just just. You know, and even sit down on the floor if you need to. Close your eyes and you know, listen to yourself breathing. And and you know, and meditation and yoga and all these other techniques are very helpful too to kind of calm you down. But the deeper work that you know that you do, and you know, some of the things that I do is to get people to catch these thoughts and challenges and things like that before it gets to the point where you have to stop, drop, and roll type of thing. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I have a couple of thoughts. I think the first, you know, I think one thing I talk in, to people about commonly is kind of scaling back um, their focus. And I think anxiety tends to make you future focus. It ta- you focus on the uncertainty, what's going to, how are things going to play out a month from now, a year from now, right? And, you know, finding purpose is definitely an antidote 
to burnout and anxiety. But I think people have to scale that back and say, what is purposeful today? What is worth, what is worth doing right now? How would I like to be responsible for myself today in this moment? I think those are much more helpful questions than how am I going to get everything together? How is this going to work out? Right. And if people are able to kind of wake up and ask the themselves those very simple questions every day, you know, they're engaging that part of their brain that is going to come up with solutions and that is going to make things seem more manageable. And so I think, um, you know, it's largely a, uh, the exercise of kind of putting the focus back on, on the present and, and what being responsible and being kind to yourself looks like in the moment. You know, and the other thought I had was I think that going along, you know, the lines of kind of the boundaries between work and home being blurred. I think that also happens in our relationships. You know, a lot of my work is on relationship focus. And I think what a lot of people have, have observed is that they start to become over-responsible for their spouse, for their kids, maybe even for their coworkers, because these lines have gotten blurred. And a lot of their energy and time is getting directed towards managing other people instead of themselves. <laughs> so a lot of the work I'm doing right now with people is to help them observe when they begin to overfunction or direct the people around them in their house and how they can kind of step back a little bit from that and reclaim some of that energy. Because I think it is such an automatic thing that happens when you're all cooped up together. I noticed that very early on. I st- my husband and I were both working for home and all of a sudden I was telling him how to structure his day and that's not my responsibility, but it's just a thing that happens when you're stressed out and when you're close together. And so I think it's, I always encourage people to ask themselves, you know, how do I be less responsible for everyone else and more responsible for myself right now? And I think that the people who are able to do that aren't getting burnt out quite as quickly as everyone else because they are, they're working on managing themselves and their own anxiety as opposed to being responsible for everybody else's. That's great advice because yeah, taking care of yourself first is crucial because you, you won't be able to take care of anybody if you don't take care of yourself first and setting those boundaries and doing the work and, and dealing with your own anxious thoughts and behaviors and, thought patterns uh, is really beneficial because that way you can like, okay, let's take a look at this. And I love the example you shared about your husband where it's like, okay, we're working together now. Boy, it would make life so much easier for me if he would just do it this way. <laughs> and and sometimes that they may be open to that and realize, hey, that's actually a better way for me to do it. Or they may say, well, you know what? No, this is actually the best way for me. And a real quick story. Uh, I, I have a lean certification and I was in mostly healthcare, but in other areas as well. And there was a nurse at a hospital and there was a lean exercise. I wasn't part of it, but I heard the story where this nurse had been working in this particular ward of the hospital for over 20 years. So she knows every quarter inch of that floor and everything about it. The lean professionals came in and said, okay, your cart that you use to go and do your rounds and all that stuff, from an efficiency standpoint, it would be better if it was over on the right side instead of the left side of this particular room because it was closer to the door and a variety of other things. So the people would move it. And this went on for about a week. And then finally, she came in the morning and caught the person that was moving it and said, if somebody moves my cart one more time, I'm going to shoot them. And needless to say, they quit moving the cart because what they discovered, and they brought the lean people in to talk with her about it, 
they observed her, you know, Jemba kind of thing. They observed her and realized that even though on paper, from an efficiency standpoint, it was better if it was on the opposite side of the room, but she had become so efficient in the way that she was doing it, it was actually faster than the way that they designed. So, you know, it's a great analogy because he, and I don't know the, the end result of this, uh, but maybe the way your husband was doing something actually worked out better for him. Right. As long as it doesn't interfere with what you're doing, then great. If it does, then that's where negotiation comes in. And that's, that's, the, fi- that's the fine art of relationships, a skill set that they definitely need to teach more of in school. Because I know a lot of people, unfortunately, they don't have that trait. Sure. Yeah, you know, what I ask my clients to think about is, you know, is the overfunctioning automatic? And is it just the only way you have to calm down? Because I think a lot of the times it's not necessarily about <laughs> solving the problem. It's about managing your distress in the moment. And if that become if can, trying to control everyone and tell them what to do is your is your only way of managing the anxiety, then I think people are going to kind of triggered against and they're going to uh, kind of butt back a little bit uh, naturally. And so, you know, I think, and it like the example you gave, it, it uh, precludes other people's thinking and they're not, not included in the, in the problem solving. And I think that that leads to other people becoming more dependent on you and less capable for themselves. And that's definitely not a situation you want to be in with your family. And so, you know, especially with parents right now too, I just, encourage everybody to let other people surprise you with their capabilities because I think we tend to assume especially when it's people we care about that they're going to need more help or that they're going to have a harder time than they actually might and so just not not going into it assuming that people are going to be helpless but giving them a little bit of space to show you what they can do I think you know this is this applies at work too I think we all could probably do a little bit of that right now. Oh, it definitely applies, you know, both at home and work. And we're seeing that with managers in the workplace that were used to stopping by the desk or the cubicle to see how work was going. Well, they don't have that opportunity now. So that's why phrases like Zoom fatigue has come into play because sometimes these managers want to have several meetings during the day to see how things are going instead of let your employees do their role, learn their job and do their job and check in and say, do you need anything? In all likelihood, they don't and let them do their job and let them do it in the way that they do it. So, you know, similar to that lean exercise, you hired these people to do this work. They should know how to do it. Let them do it and let them figure out their way to complete it. Uh, as long as it's not an assembly line kind of thing and it just says, so here's the outcome. This is what you need to work on. Let them do it. Let them have that creative flow to figure out how to do it because they may find a more efficient way to do it that's better than the way that the manager thinks it can be done. Mm-hmm. Same thing with taking care of, you know, your, letting your kids do some chores or your spouse handle some things that you normally do. It's, it, right now is the definite time to delegate as much as you can and let people have an opportunity to help out because that reduces the strain and the time crunch on everything that we're facing right now. And, and, you know, it's, yes, you know, anxiety on, okay, it may not work. Well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if it doesn't work and you know, kind of turn the tide on how you're thinking about some things like, okay, not to go what's worst case scenario type of thinking, because that, that just adds gasoline to a fire. 
but it's like, okay, what, you know, what's the potential outcomes if it goes this way or this yeah. way? A, qu- a question I commonly have for people are what are the stakes here? <laughs> How high are the stakes? And are, are you acting as if they're much higher than they actually are? And I think that's, that's a useful question for people because they start to realize that someone being less efficient than you, that's not, most of the time, that, that's not high stakes. <laughs> that that's a manageable thing. If people bumble a little better, they don't do it as good as you would. Um, yeah, but I think you know. I think that it's so common that people do confuse overfunctioning with leadership, and that's not what leadership is. And I think, especially in the helping professions, that's why that's one of the reasons why there is so much burnout is because we love to help, right? We wouldn't be so <laughs> what we do if we didn't. And so it's so easy to shift into that. You know, I have a, a chapter about this in the book. It's so easy to shift into that overfunctioning role and then wonder where all your energy went and where the passion went. Yeah, and that's the crucial thing is just, and I see that too. Yeah, especially in the nonprofit sector, you know, the the um, people that want to make an impact in the world and they they do every role and they're not accomplishing much because they're trying to do every role. And it's like, okay, do what you can do. And only you can do, and and delegate, and bring out other people to help out, and it, it's a more joyous experience when you have people walking alongside, helping you navigate through work, life, raising children, you know, raising a dog or a cat, whatever the case may be. Uh, you don't have to go it alone, and and when you have those things, and you can trust these people to be able to help out. Yeah, their way may be different, but it's still. You know, like you said, what you know? What are the stakes? Realizing this is on a scale of one to ten, it's really a a, a point five. It's not a big deal at all. But oftentimes, especially those that struggle with anxiety, everything may look like a seven, eight, nine, or you know, hopefully not a ten, but a huge you know anxious situation. When in reality, looking at it from an outside point of view, it's like, that's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, there's bigger things that we struggle through in life that, and I find this sometimes too, where things that you would think that they would be really anxious about, they're nonchalant about it. It's like, well, that's a, kind of a big deal. Well, you know, it'll happen. Like, and you're like, okay. It's like the brain is an interesting thing. That's for sure. Yeah. So, so if you had one piece of advice for people that are struggling and I, I mean, narrowing it down a little bit too much, maybe, but, for people that are, you know, dealing with anxiety, especially during this pandemic, but even during normal times, um, you know, what are some things that they can do to kind of help ease um, those anxious thoughts? Yeah, you know, the the main theme of my book and what I always encourage my clients to think about is to how curiosity is kind of an antidote to anxiety, you know, and if there's so much going on in your, in your life right now, can you find one challenge that you're just naturally curious about and interested <laughs> and start, start there to lead with your interests? You know, if you're, um, you know, if you, I give all these common examples, but you know, if you're finding that you and your spouse are arguing over how to load the dishwasher, and you can laugh in that and that's interesting to think about, then play around with your responses to that. You know, if, um, if you're curious about noticing how you interact with a certain coworker who just really makes you anxious and tense, you know, can you, can you reach out to them more and have more conversations with them and play around with regulating yourself and calming down when they're freaking out, you know, to just pick an arena of life where you have enough energy and interest 
to, to work on managing yourself a little bit better and acting a little bit more with more maturity. And, you know, can you write down some of your observations, share them with your therapist, you know, do something that engages that front part of your brain that problem solves. Because I think what people tend to do is they tend to want to tackle everything and they feel overwhelmed with it or they feel bored with it uh, and they wonder why they're not getting anywhere. And so, you know, I think the, the areas that sort of naturally interest you the most um, and provide the sort of the most wiggle room or the most opportunity to try something different, you know, start, start with that and see what you can do with it. And then I think you get a little bit of momentum, but if you're not, really observing how you function day to day, it's so hard to interrupt it and do anything different, you know? So I think I always just tell people to start observing, pretend like you're a researcher and you're, you know, you're studying yourself in your natural habitat and watch what you do when you get anxious. How do you function? What is your thinking? How do you relate to other people? And then you start to see the opportunities to kind of, um, change it up or kind of live out uh, your values a little bit differently. And, you know, but people want to jump to the changing. They don't want to do the observing first. And I think that's a, a key, key piece. And I think just paying attention to yourself, not being so hard on yourself, recognizing that we wouldn't do these things when we're anxious if they didn't work to an extent, right? <laughs> um, if you're, if you are over responsible for everybody and that's your only way of calming down, you do it because it's adaptive. It calms you down. Right. Uh, but there's a cost and maybe you don't want to do that anymore. And so just recognizing that, uh, your anxious functioning is there for a reason, but that doesn't mean that you can't sort of chart a different path for yourself, but you've got to be curious about it. Cause if you're not, you're just really not gonna, gonna be able to do anything differently. I agree. And you end up being reactionary on things and you make these changes, like you said, without really knowing, okay, you know, what's the stakes in making those changes? You may go in a completely incorrect decision or direction for yourself. And if you have that curiosity, and I love the researcher analogy, then it makes such a huge difference. So Kathleen, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Yeah, so you can just go to my website, which is KathleenSmith.net. I write a free weekly newsletter called The Anxious Overachiever, where I talk about <laughs> my work on myself and my work with therapy clients, and people tend to find that useful. And uh, my book, Everything Isn't Terrible, you can buy that anywhere you buy books. So thanks. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So Kathleen, thank you for the work that you do. You're making some amazing strides and helping people reduce their anxiety and live a much better life. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.